The Athletic. Jordan, you're a great professional. Well, tell me you're going to get absolutely rotten tonight, like me. <laughs> Possibly. Oh, Come on, Jordan, go for it, lad. Enjoy yourself. Cheers, hey! Carol. Come on, Jordan. Love it. Liverpool getting back on track with a win at Sheffield United, and now just two points away from the top four. But of course, it's about putting back-to-back results together. And there is a sterner test ahead. It's Chelsea this week. You're with the Red Agenda. I'm Steve Hothersall. James Pearce, Simon Hughes and Kiva O'Neill make up your panel. Right now, you can subscribe to The Athletic for a special price of £3.99 a month for six months. That's 40% off the full price of a subscription. You'll enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all our podcasts. So go to theathletic.com slash Liverpool pod to take advantage of this special 40% discount. That's theathletic.com slash Liverpool pod. Right. How important was that uh, win against Sheffield United in the scheme of what was a very poor month? Um, Sai? Yeah, massive win. Much better performance as well. It wasn't the sort of victory where they, they stumbled to three points. I thought they were a lot more convincing with the with the passing and the, the number of chances that they created. Obviously, still, Sheffield United had, had a couple of chances themselves. Um, I think it helped just having two centre-halves playing in central defence, to be honest. And I got the impression that the, the full-backs were sort of permitted to go and influence the game the way they have done, you know, in previous seasons, really. And, you know, if a couple of chances go the other team's way, then then so be it. That's when you're back, banking on your goalkeeper to to come up and make some saves. Um but yeah, they just seemed a lot more comfortable, I thought, a lot more relaxed in the play, not as tentative. And you've lurched between being very tentative and being rushed at times over the course of the last month. Whereas I just thought the pace of the game was right. So really big win for Liverpool. I think they had to win that game because if he's a lost or, or dropped more points, you know, the Champions League would have been, you know, very, very far away. So to, to go and win... Under pressure and, and, and deliver three points under pressure, I thought was was impressive. Kiva, there is this perception that Liverpool just should be beating a team like Sheffield United anyway, but I suppose there is no guarantees of Premier League, and we, we've seen that over the past month and a half. Yeah, definitely. I think um, obviously Liverpool have struggled more so against the lesser teams at times. Those that have sort of sat back defensively, they've struggled to break down the low block. So games like Sheffield United, everyone, you know, Liverpool are guaranteed three points there. But last season it was tough. I think when Alden just snuck it, didn't he, with a, a goal that just somehow crossed the line. And um, it felt like it was going in similar in a similar sort of vein to that game, didn't it, at first? Um, and then obviously, you know, whatever the team talk was at half-time, it was a bit of a wake up and, and um, you know, start well keep doing what you were doing really actually because he was really good wasn't he in that first half there was some actual shots on target which was just amazing wasn't it really to see shots on target doesn't always happen for Liverpool these days um and obviously Ramsdale turned into Manuel Neuer hadn't he um but yeah I thought it was it was a, a bright game from Liverpool and something that they needed even though you know Sheffield United are probably going down I mean they obviously are um looking like they're going to get relegated and they have done for a while. So, you know, to pick up three points there, it was expected, but it wasn't it wasn't going to always happen, was it? You know, 
Um, Liverpool had to go there and put in a performance, and and they did that, and they come away with the win. You know, they probably should have scored more, but the way it's going for Liverpool at the minute, two goals just feels like quite a lot. It would be understandable, James, to think that even the players would be nervy with, with this sort of fixture. But actually, it was a pretty solid display. Yeah, it was, and I think I think that was probably one of the most pleasing things for me was that you know they they did stick at it because you know I, I must I couldn't have been the only one watching that first half. You know, and you think, you know, Aaron Ramsdale, I've seen him make mistake after mistake this season. And you just think, you know, like, it was just so predictable that, that he has he has his game of the season there. And, you know, when Firmino misses that 1v1 in the first half and, you know, it would have been easy to have gone, you know, here we go again. You know, because we've seen for ourselves in recent weeks that belief and confidence has taken a bit of a battering. But um, that was the big thing for me, the fact that they stuck at it and got their rewards in the end. Um, and yes... It was only Sheffield United, you know. You've got to say that because you know they have had a an, an abysmal season. Um, but you know, again, I think you know when, when you look at you know Adrian, you know Liverpool went into that game with their you know third choice goalie in goal on the back of having lost, just lost their captain for eight weeks to groin surgery, and you know even Jota's comeback had to be completely scrubbed out because because he he was taken ill. So um, yeah, in the circumstances, I thought it was a an impressive performance and a yeah thoroughly deserved win. Yeah, just give a special mention to, to Adrian because I, I saw you mention that on your social media, James. He's had a fairly up and down ride at Liverpool, hasn't he? Some real highs and some real lows as well, and that was that was a big game for him. Yeah, it was, and I, I was really pleased for him. You know, like just you know, it's aside from the grand scheme of things, how important a solid performance from him was to getting Liverpool's season back on track. I think. Just for him on like a human level, when you see someone take the amount of stick and criticism that he's had and um, you know, he hasn't played a minute of Premier League football since October. And, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure, you know, having lost his status as number two to Quivine Kelleher, that um, he probably didn't think he'd ever play in the Premier League for Liverpool again. Um, so, you know, I, I thought, I thought he, you know, he looked assured. He, he made some decent saves. And you know, yeah, I mean, he has had a crazy time of it, hasn't he? When you think back to you know getting thrown in at the deep end in the way he was when Allison got injured on the, the opening day of, of of last season and being the hero in the Super Cup and and then you know, some pretty disastrous games last season, probably typified by his mistakes that essentially cost Liverpool any hope of winning the Champions League with, with his errors against Atletico. So um, yeah, I think that'll do him the world of good. The fact that he was able to to say that he made a big contribution to an important win. Right, in a season that hasn't had a load of positives, perhaps, I si, one of the big positives for Liverpool has been Curtis Jones, who just looks like, a, dare I say, a senior player, but he's been given lots of opportunities to start games and yet again impressed. It's almost like he's playing beyond his years. How much has he stood out to yourself? I think he's been magnificent, really. Very difficult to come in to a Liverpool team of this standard, particularly when it's not playing and functioning in the way it normally would do and have a positive, really positive impact. I know there have been a few games where he hasn't affected the game quite as much as he has in other games. You know, for example, you know, he was, I thought he was man of the match for Liverpool against Tottenham before Christmas at Anfield. And then he was a bit quieter in the games afterwards. But it, I think, you know, he's shown more than enough that he can influence games of Premier League football uh, at the very highest level. And I thought against Sheffield United, he was he was the, the star midfielder. I mean, you know, he's alongside 
Thiago and Wijnaldum, who are two of the most experienced midfielders in Europe, right at the peak of the game. But for me, the thrust of Liverpool's adventure from that area of the park came from him. You know, I thought his goal, the way he finished it off, sort of summed up his performance, really, really emphatic. And it's really exciting future, I think. I mean, he's been the, the bright spot in a, in a particularly bleak season, really, so far. It could end differently, of course, but I do think that he's... Um, He's really made his mark and has shown that I think in the long term he can be a really important part of the Liverpool team, not just in the long term, but in the immediate future as well. What I enjoyed about his performance against Sheffield United was the way it was like he was let off the leash a little bit, I think. I think in some sometimes he's been maybe trying to show Jurgen Klopp that he can be disciplined, which you know is really important. There's a level of discipline in that Liverpool midfield, you know, in terms of your work rate and your pressing and everything else. And I sometimes feel like in his attempts to show that he can be that disciplined player, not, not be as spontaneous as, as he can be, because I've seen him a fair bit when he was in Liverpool's youth teams and, and, and the under-23s where, you know, he'd be the go-to player to try and do something a bit different. And it felt against Abramo Lane that he, he was he was given the freedom to go and express himself in that way. And he just showed, you know, that, that he can he, he can he can be, you know, the, the key player on, on, on in terms of, of a creative sense. And, Got great intelligence on the pitch as well. I think he knows where to be. You know, positional sense is excellent. So, yeah, really, really exciting for him. You know, I, I think he's going to become a, a really big player for the for the team over the next couple of years. It's a remarkable story. It makes it even better when it's a homegrown talent that's actually come through the club's academy. I think so, Steve. Yeah, I mean, he's he grew up closer than than any other Liverpool player in the club's history. I think to the city centre. You know, he's. He's a real sort of urban footballer, if you like, and you can see that the way you know there's a, there's a, a bit of a cheeky player though. You know the way he is. You know I think I think when he first came into the the first team environment, you know he wasn't afraid to sort of show who he was, and I think that's you know credit to the manager to be able to manage that personality and bring out the best in him. Because I think now you see him both sides of it. You know that sort of personality in his play, but as I said, the discipline as well. Um, I just must say, you know, getting into this Liverpool team uh, for a young player really, really isn't an easy thing to do. You know, it's to impress Jurgen Klopp and have the the level of commitment and, and focus, you know, particularly as a midfielder. The expectations are so high on the midfield, you know, in terms of the, the things that they've got to do to, to help out the other players around them. So he, he's done something that I don't think many, many young players would be able to do. And he just looks to me, you know, as you say, he doesn't look like a young footballer the way he moves around the pitch. He's got sort of a low sense of gravity. You know, he's very physically, you know, he's not the tallest player. He's physically quite powerful, really. I remember seeing him, you know, in the mix zone after games and, he, you know, he's, he's a strong sort of thick set looking lad. I don't want to make it sound like he's he's, he's, a, he's too big, but, he, you know, he, he can tell that he can handle himself on a football pitch and, um, yeah, yeah, I, th- I think, you know, him and Trent, you know, you can see what I love about those two players, the way they play, you can tell they're from Liverpool, you know what I mean? I know that they've come through the academy and they sort of learn certain disciplines at the academy and everything else, but those two lads, you can just tell the way they play, the way they pass the ball, the way they move, you know, their the personalities, you know, the sort of... They, they will try and attempt the unexpected from time to time. I mean, you, you mentioned Trent there. I thought he had a really encouraging game as well, didn't he? You know, his, his passion was back on it. Actually, thought he played it all right against Everton as well in the in the in the derby on a on a really you know sort of miserable night. But 
from a, from, a, from a Liverpool perspective, but he seems to be getting back into his rhythm again. Um, so yeah, great to see two two local players really really having a you know a good a really massive massive impact on this what is still a, a very good Liverpool team despite you know where they are in the league. Eva, what can Curtis Jones go on to achieve, do you think? Well, one of the hopes and aspirations, we jump ahead of ourselves, but immediately I think we're all thinking he's in that best bracket that England has in terms of youngsters at the moment. Yeah, he's right up there, isn't he? And I think, um, you know, I'd done a piece at the weekend on Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain and how, um, you know, he needs to step up his game pretty much. And if you look closely at those numbers of um, Liverpool's current midfielders, Curtis Jones is just climbing the ranks in terms of, everything pretty much um, and he's one of the reasons when you look at those numbers and even in expected goals and assists that they're likely to rise you know with this goal at the weekend and um, you know Klopp said after the game didn't he need to score more goals and you know there's still things for him to work on and there definitely is but he's keeping players like this out of the team at this age um, you know he's 20 he just turned 20 that was his 11 start his 19 for appearance in total in, in the league which is you know, like James done a piece recently to say he's arrived, like he cemented his place now in this Liverpool squad. And I watched him for England's under-21s earlier in the season and he, he didn't come on till late in the game, but I was watching him sort of like, um, it was at Wolves' stadium and I was just watching him on the bench and he came out, like when the team came out and he just came out with like sliders on and like his socks really low down, you know, just like really confident. And I, and that's kind of what he brings to, to Liverpool, I think. And like Simon mentioned, um, you know, at times he, he's tried to be a bit more measured, but I think when, when he's at his best, it's when he's, he's just going for it. And, you know, when he came on against West Ham, Klopp, you know, said to him, go and be cheeky, go and, you know, make something happen. He came on and initially made something happen as Liverpool took the lead. Um, he's, I think he's that player that you can, similar to Trent Alexander-Arnold, you can rest a lot on, on the young shoulders because they've got that confidence. And I think Alexander-Arnold's role has actually been really helpful in sort of paving the way and being the first in a long time to cement the place in a team. And, you know, now Curtis Jones is doing it. It's, it's vastly welcomed, isn't it, among Liverpool supporters? But I think that's the most eye-catching thing is that he's keeping players like Oxlade Chamberlain out of the team right now. I'm almost putting their futures in question because of how good he is. Obviously, you know, there's a question over when Alden. What a season this has been for Curtis Jones because you, you want him to start every game now. Naby Keita come back last night. He he looked, you know, he, he got forward a few times and looked all right. And, it, you know, it'd be great to have him back. But I'm not sure you can take Curtis Jones out of this team now. That's how good he's been recently. Um, when he come off against Man City and Leicester, they both scored like minutes after. And I feel like as soon as you take him off, it just takes something away from Liverpool, even though he's not the most defensive midfielder. It just takes a little bit of an edge lately and that he's brought to Liverpool. James, if you, if you look at Trent and Curtis... You think to yourself, well, actually, Liverpool have got two homegrown players that could be there for a, a long time to come. And given what we've seen in both of them, that would be absolutely terrific. You know, just what we believe they could grow into. Yeah, and I think you know, it's it's incredibly difficult as well to do what they are doing at the moment because this isn't this isn't like a bog standard Liverpool team that they've broken into. This is a this is a team that's won the, the two biggest prizes you could possibly lay your hands on. So um. You know, the, the bar is set so ridiculously high now for players trying to make the grade at the academy. Um, 
and you know, of course, you know, Trent has, has long since I think you know, kind of won everyone over in terms of no one's got any doubts that he will be you know a, a Liverpool player hopefully for his in, entire career. And I think Curtis Jones probably still got a little way to go, but um, yeah, just massive strides forward. You know, in the last twelve to eighteen months is, and when I watch him now, it actually I struggle to believe it's the same player in terms of just how tactically disciplined and intelligent he is on the ball. As Simon said, physically as well, you know, he's still only 20 years of age, yet I mean, he, he more than holds his own, even against, you know, a really physical side like Sheffield United. So, um, yeah, and of course, you know, with, it looks like Jeannie Wijnaldum will be on his way this summer. So, you know, at the moment we've seen, probably we've probably seen more of Curtis Jones this season than we would have done, I think, because of the injury situations. But, You've still got a grasp of his opportunities and he's done unbelievably well at doing that. And yeah, I see him being a permanent fixture in that Liverpool midfield next season. And, and just judging by the number of games he's had, James, it shows the confidence that Klopp has in him. But you mentioned the genie situation as Kiva did as well. And it's almost like Jürgen needed Curtis to step up quickly to this level without preempting what will happen with Genie Wijnaldum. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I think, and also you, you could say that Okay, well, he's he's been fortunate in a way that because you know obviously two thirds of the title winning mid midfield has essentially been taken away, hasn't it? With Henderson and Fabinho either being injured or being asked to play out of position at centre half for a lot of the season, but you know Curtis Jones has still been getting you know in ahead of Oxlade Chamberlain, you know ahead of Shakiri, um, you know Milner at times as well. So um, yeah, I think I think that's the big thing for me when you you know when you see him getting picked for games like against Manchester City and, you know, really big Champions League knockout ties. You just know that Klopp has complete and utter faith in him. And, um, you know, and on the back of his performances recently, you know, that's only going to grow and grow. Or, or even the fact, James, that he was subbed early, because presumably that was just a, a case of keeping him fresh for Thursday. Yeah, well, exactly. I don't think I don't think that's even a debate, is it? With you know, Klopp said he, he hopes to have more options for, for Thursday. Of course, you know, Fabino should be available for that game. Um, Klopp was saying he hopes that Jota will come back into the reckoning as well. And and of course Allison, we hope, will be back in, in goal. But yeah, I don't think I don't think it's even up for debate, is it? I think, you know, on, on current form, Curtis Jones absolutely walks into that starting lineup. We spent a lot of time, Simon, talking about Roberto Firmino in recent weeks. He seemed desperate maybe to prove a point. I don't know. Obviously, the, the goal wasn't credited to him, but his manager said afterwards, we're going to treat it as if it's his goal. Is he responding to perhaps what he's hearing or what he's more aware of now in his own form? So it's difficult to say. I mean, he, he, he was a lot better, I, I thought, in Sheffield United. Um, not, without, not a game without its frustrations, I suppose. I mean... Obviously, the chance that Liverpool had, that he had in the first half where he elected to pass when all he needed to do was sort of hit it very hard in the direction of the goal and it was going to, mm. it was probably going to yeah. end up in the back of the net. I couldn't quite figure that one out. Probably just trying to be too clever. Yeah, and then even even the goal, you know, that he, he scores, it was a bit of a scuffed shot, really. And it was going wide. It was an own goal. But I thought his movement was a lot better. I thought he didn't give the... Sheffield United's defence a moment's peace. The ball stuck a lot more with him as well. His touch was 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 a lot lot better than it has been in, in previous weeks. I think the debate around him is still fair. It's understandable. You know, not so long ago people were saying he, you know, he's Liverpool's most important player in many ways because you know he leads the line and everything. 
everything that happens behind stems from what he does, essentially. So when he's not playing well and he hasn't played well for such a long period of time, it can't have it both ways. You know, it can't not suddenly be his problem or something that he needs to resolve. Um, my concern over the last sort of last few months is it just feels like is is watching him. I mean, there's there's no scientific sort of proof behind this. It just when when you see a player, and he's not running quite as quick, and uh, the energy isn't there, and you get to the back end of the your twenties, you do start to question. So to, is he is going to be effective in the next couple of years as he has been in the in the last four or five years? So I think the conversation is perfectly understandable. But I, I understand sometimes you know it goes too far with some of the things that people might say on social media, but that accounts for for, for anything really <laughs> that people have a viewpoint on, unfortunately, at the moment. Um, but yeah, he, he, he did play very well against Sheffield United. His movement was excellent. His interplay with the the sort of you know Curtis Jones, I think, helped. I think I think they both helped each other's game because they were close, a lot closer to each other. I mean that that is one thing that maybe gets overlooked a little bit. I, I sort of feel that sometimes that the sort of the, the support from behind has left him a bit isolated this season. You know, like he, I think sometimes you need to know, particularly if you're back, you're playing with your back to goal. That there's something to pass to, not just either side, but but you know somebody who, who you can sort of play off, who, who's running in behind and and giving you the support from a deeper area of the pitch. And I think he benefited from, from Curtis Jones's sort of runs uh, against Sheffield United. So, yeah, much better performance. But, you know, Liverpool need to try and string a few wins together, don't they? And I think if he if he performs like that against Chelsea, who are obviously a much higher standard of opponents, um, it'll give a lot of people a lot more reasonable cause for optimism, both for him and for the team. Imagine the scenario. A much-loved and inspirational leader has announced his intention to take a career break and you need to find someone just as tactically astute and charismatic, but perhaps without the glasses and the teeth. Well, when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. And LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. And LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They've even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even quicker. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash walk. That's L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N dot com slash walk. W-L-K to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. It's the Red Agenda. I'm Steve Hoversall. On today's pod, uh, Simon Hughes, James Pierce, and Kiva O'Neill. We've just been talking about Firmino there. And of course, um, a lot of conversation, debate as to whether... Liverpool need to evolve in terms of what they've got on the pitch and whether a new number nine should be in the pipeline. There's a piece on The Athletic right now which lists a few different options, maybe in the thinking of, you know, the club's hierarchy. Kiva, where, where did Liverpool go for a number nine? Interesting, isn't it? I mean, Haaland was uh, was mentioned in that, in that piece by Tom Warville, which I thought was quite outlandish. You can't imagine him coming to Liverpool, can you? I mean, everyone I think will be after him at the moment. But one thing I think I'll say is, um, obviously Jota was missing last night through illness, actually, which happened overnight. He was with the squad um, in the team hotel, but he got sick and then was obviously sent home. But I think 
he was sort of almost like a plan in place for this season. I feel like Liverpool have looked at the numbers. Firmino's dropped off gently. And I do feel like Jota was part of this plan to, you know, add goals where Firmino was probably lacking a little bit. And he did, didn't he? I think he scored nine. And then obviously got that injury, which just kept him, well, be like three months, well, or something like that. Just exactly not what Liverpool wanted in terms of losing him, especially with the goals he's added. I think that's put a little bit more pressure on Firmino, who has stepped out of it at times and, you know, popped up with important goals here and there. That late winner against Tottenham, memorable. And, you know, the bit of a moment as well. But, you know, last night um, against Sheffield United, I think his finishing was called into question, as it has been all season. But in terms of who Liverpool go after, I think it's going to be another strange summer, isn't it, in terms of funds and, and what goes on there. I don't think they're going to be paying anyone the big bucks. Is that um, is number nine the, the most important thing to, to bring in, the, the most important position, the most important player? Um, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Well, it's not going to be Erling Haaland, is it, if we're talking big bucks? James, as, as the... You know, behind the scenes, of, has this been a, a mid-season review as to whether they should be looking at another number nine or perhaps, as Kiva just mentioned there, was Diogo Jota always the man? Were they just ahead of the game? Where, where do you think their thinking's at? Well, I think I think there's an acceptance there will be changes in that striking department this summer regardless. So I'd be amazed if Divock Origi was still at Liverpool next season. You know, I wrote a story back in probably November early December that Liverpool were open to offers for Origi in January. Um, they, they didn't get anything that resembled anything that was suitable. So in the end, the decision was taken to obviously keep him on board for the rest of the season and, and loan out Minamino instead. So, um, so no, I think they, they will have to upgrade Origi this summer, regardless of, you know, of, of course, you know, getting Jota back fit will be massive for the coming months in terms of finishing this season off brightly but um I, I still think they need another goal scorer another another high caliber option up there because you know Firmino has struggled you know, this season he hasn't been able to have the you know the rotation that he probably has needed because of Jota being out for for three months and also I think Klopp knows that when he looks at that bench and he sees Origi that he hasn't really got someone in Origi anymore who can come on and, and really impact a game positively so um yeah I think in terms of what they do, it's far too early to say because so much will be governed by what kind of funds Liverpool can generate from sales this summer and also how much money Klopp's got to play with, which will be influenced by whether Liverpool are in the Champions League or not because um, you know to not, to not qualify for the Champions League would have huge repercussions in terms of you know what, what Klopp has available to him in terms of a kitty. So, um, so yeah, some interesting names that Tom Warville threw up there and I know you know he's he's based those names more on the, the data side of things. You know, I think Andre Silva at Eintracht Frankfurt was was one, Darwin Nunes at Benfica, Guri at Nice, Mbolo at Borussia Munchen Gladbach and Jonathan David at Lille, who um, you know, out of those, I know Jonathan David was was well and truly on Liverpool's radar last summer. He was on the three man shortlist with Jota and with Saar at Watford when they ultimately went for went for Jota. But I think it's just too soon to say at the moment because I'm sure, you know, they will almost have two lists, I think. One for if they're in the Champions League and one for if they're not. Well, let's talk about that again. It's our favourite conversation. Simon, uh, you love a good top four chase um, prediction. Have you, have you changed at all 
On this, clearly you can't judge it just off a win against Sheffield United. You need to put a string of results together, some consistency. This is the time to build it. The Chelsea game is, is huge, is it? The Fulham game is as well. But this Chelsea one, what, what will it tell us about Liverpool's top four ambitions? Well, I don't think I've ever said that they won't get there, Steve. I think you're being a bit unfair, but... Um, oh, no, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I just said, you know, a few a month ago, the, the reality is that that's what the, the, the fighting for, I think. Um, I mean, Liverpool need to get some momentum back into the season, don't they? Um, I mean, they've obviously had a great win against uh, Red Bull Leipzig uh, and then lost the derby. You sort of just think... Really good performance in Europe. If they turn the corner, no. So it's it's again it's it's a game you can't afford to lose. Put it that way uh, against Chelsea uh, because I think that that would give Chelsea a huge amount of confidence under a new manager going into the last month of the season uh, and have the opposite effect on Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, uh, I look at the league table and it's not just Chelsea, of course. I mean, Leicester having a really wobbly. A couple of they've had a wobbly couple of days anyway. Going out to Europe, getting beaten by Arsenal at home, injury lists mounting up. Uh, they've obviously got a, a track record for sort of falling away as he did last season, having started the season so strongly. Would not be surprised to see them sort of a lot closer to Liverpool over the next couple of weeks, particularly if Liverpool go and beat Chelsea. So for me, you know, they're, they're the team that Liverpool have got to be targeting. They're six points behind them at the moment. I mean, I still think about that Leicester game a few weeks ago and wonder how Liverpool lost the game as emphatically as they did. Uh, I don't think Liverpool played particularly well that day, but they still did more than enough to win the game. And yet Leicester ended up winning 3-1. And I, I, I saw some concerning signs from the Leicester performance that day. thought they were very fortunate to go and win it. So, yeah, really bad defeat for them against Sparta Prague midweek. Reminded again, I think of Brendan Rodgers' shortcomings in Europe, which we saw at Liverpool. Never, never able to really master European competition at Liverpool. Record at Celtic wasn't great either. You know, at, at, at Leicester, similar struggles, surprise defeats along the way. So I, I, I think that there's still a great chance that Liverpool do get in the Champions League, but they, they just can't afford to obviously keep losing games. Just. As, as simple as that, isn't it really? They, they really need to, to try and get a run of results together, which will give the players the level of confidence that, you know, and remind themselves of who they are. I mean, a, a lot of this at the moment, Liverpool's performance, you know, it's obviously down to the the injury list, down to confidence as well. I think that the players at various times, key players have, have, have lost their confidence. I think Trent... Is, is gradually getting his back and he's a really important player for Liverpool from a creative point of view. And if you can get him his confidence back and then Mane as well, Mane not being the same player for a number of months, you need to get him back firing. I'd be confident that Liverpool do get that momentum and confidence that they will end up being where they want to be. But Chelsea's a big, big test really because I think that they've improved offensively over the last couple of weeks under Tuchel. Maybe haven't shone in a creative or attacking sense quite as much, but... I think Thomas Tush will be looking at the game at Anfield and sensing an, an opportunity there just because Liverpool's record has been so bad in recent weeks. So if Liverpool can beat them and then overturn uh, and, and, and get back on a even keel at games at Anfield and, and get back believing that they can win games at Anfield, which sounds astonishing when you think about you know the run that they've been on over the last four years, it'll just give them a, a really a really good kick that they need at this stage of the season. 
Yeah, I think um, they need that consistency at home, don't they? I think Liverpool would prefer to have been facing Frank Lampard's Chelsea this week, Kiva. But um, as, as Simon's just mentioned there, Thomas Tuchel's made them quite a stiff uh, proposition, Chelsea, unbeaten in nine, 15 points from seven games uh, in the Premier League, tightened up. They, they concede few goals. It's, it's the sort of team Liverpool don't really want to play. Yeah, it's the worst time to play. Chelsea, if that game could have come just uh, before Frank Lampard got off, that would have been handy, wouldn't it? But, you know, I think it's something that Liverpool, almost it's it's better to play Chelsea when they're defending well and they're playing well. You know, the, the goals haven't quite been there for them, have they? Um, but you know, I think it's probably a good time to play them still, even though, you know, because they're still in the formative formative weeks, aren't they, of, of um, Thomas Tuchel's reign. And I think Liverpool have, have done a lot to put things right in terms of just getting the results back on track with that Sheffield United win. But we do have to remember, as we've mentioned, you know, they are the, the bottom place side, pretty much marooned out there on their own. Chelsea are, are Liverpool's rivals now for a Champions League spot and Liverpool can go above them with a win. And that's something that they have to do. Um, I'm not sure we'll see the five-free uh, frenetic thriller that we saw at Anfield last season, but you never quite know with this Liverpool team anymore. I think it'll be it'll be a big boost to get Jota back playing. I think that'll just make everyone feel a lot more excited about about the attack and what they can do. Because oddly, against Sheffield United, Salah and Mane were were pretty quiet compared to you know what they have been. You know, as much as the defensive have had no defenders this season, the attack have struggled at times, and that's what's cost Liverpool. We we know that scoring goals is what's going to get Liverpool um, into into that top four. Um, but results couldn't have gone better for them this weekend. Um, I think you know West Ham lost, Leicester lost, um, Chelsea dropped points as well. So you know it was down to Liverpool, and it so often has come down to them where they've got to get the get the win. Um, and even though it was against the bottom place side, they did that. And I think they've just got to build on that now. Um, to get Fabinho back as well, you, you think he'd likely come into the defence. But, you know, there's a bit of a question whether you do just keep centre-halves there and, and you know, try and get Fabinho back into that defensive role in the midfield, which I think, you know, we talk about Curtis Jones and even what Thiago can offer Liverpool. But having that screen there, just imagine... The positions Curtis Jones was finding himself in against Sheffield United and has done all season. Um, just imagine having that screen there in the back of his mind, knowing that Fabinho's right back there, um, you know, covering for him almost. The, the Wijnaldum and Thiago do that, but I think that'll give him licence to roam. And I think it's something we've all sort of missed, but Klopp is reluctant to do so because I think he prefers to have that senior player, whether it be Henderson, who's obviously now out, or Fabinho. So I'm not I'm not sure we'll we'll just we'll see actual centre halves play together. That might be a bit of a rarity, uh, what we saw at Bramall Lane. We've not reflected, James, on Jordan Henderson's situation. I think the last time we did the pod, we you know, he obviously hadn't had the the surgery, another major blow for for Jurgen Klopp. What can the manager do? It's it's ridiculous, isn't it? Um he can only shake his head at that one. It's such a shame for Jordan as well, who who has been one of the consistent performers this season, and we, we were all turning to in times of crisis. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's um, you know an absolute body blow uh, to lose him for. I think they're expecting it to be between six and eight weeks. I think so. You're you're looking at probably mid-April before we see Jordan Henderson back in a in a Liverpool shirt. So yeah, you're right. You know, in in, in difficult times, you need people like him around because he is such an inspirational 
talisman for this this team. And um, he, as Klopp said himself on Friday, you know, he, he will still have a part to play. You know, he is you know he's still around in the dressing room before and after games and all the rest of it. And um, yeah, so you know, hopefully, you know, the big challenge for this group of players is to ensure that when Jordan Henderson is fit again, there's something really tangible still to achieve in this season. And it's not he's not coming back into a team where it's just petering out and the Champions League is a distant memory and you know they're in the Europa League spots. You know, they need to dig in and try and ensure that when Henderson's back fit, you know, he's getting himself fit for a, you know, hopefully a, a Champions League quarterfinal and a and a chase for the for the top four. I think one thing that'll be really interesting this week, with Klopp said yesterday that he expects to have Fabino back available. You know, I think, and he, you know, he, he should be in contention. I think to start the Chelsea game, bearing in mind he will have had, you know, nearly a full week of, of, of training under his belt by that point. And I just wonder whether, you know, Nat Phillips, I thought, did great again last night against Sheffield United, and he's just a very like no nonsense, minimal fuss. You know, just does his job very, very well. Nat Phillips. I, I just wonder whether he might be tempted to persevere with Phillips and Kabak, and actually play Fabino in his proper position in centre midfield because I think I think Phillips has done well enough for that to be you know a proper debate to be had rather than you know if you'd asked me two weeks ago I'd have said you know the moment Fabino comes back it'll have to be Fabino and Kabak as the centre-backs. So Nat Phillips has done enough over several games really hasn't he? I mean he's got quite a few people convinced. Yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and, and you know, I think again, I think he's one of those ones. You know, he's a he's a quiet fella, just you know, really down to earth, humble guy who just just gets on with it. You know, he's he's not one to to crave the spotlight or anything. And and, and I think he was probably you know, probably with the signings that came in on deadline day, he was probably a bit forgotten in terms of like I think everyone was like, oh, you know, everyone loves something shiny and new in football, don't they? And brought in Kabak, we brought in Ben Davis, you know. Almost, you know, Nat Phillips won't be required, but you know, I, I think you could make an argument that he's that he's looked probably more accomplished than than Kabak so far. And of course, Ben Davis, you know, I think Klopp said had a minor fitness issue. Um, you know, we yet to see him in a Liverpool shirt, so clearly he's needing time to to adjust to his new surroundings. So yeah, when you think back to September and the fact that you know Nat Phillips was you know all but a Swansea City player, you know, he'd agreed personal terms that the deal was pretty much done and he expected to make that move and um, you know, not even registered for Liverpool's Champions League squad to, to think you know where he finds himself now he just he hasn't let Liverpool down I don't think a single time when he when he's been called upon it's a red agenda there's some really good articles uh, on the site now make sure you check out Kiva's piece on uh, Alex Oxley Chamberlain and why Perhaps he needs to uh, make a case for himself when he gets the chance between now and the end of the season. And also Simon's piece on um, whether the FSG business model is a, is a long-term one. I was fascinated to read the, the fact that you doorstepped John W. Henry, Simon. I think you need to tell us all a little bit more about this. So Simon Hughes, he didn't have the beard or the hair like that when he did it, but he um, you went to his gaff and you... you buzzed at his house demanding to see the man and unsurprisingly he didn't open the door to you Simon yeah again again Steve demanding <laughs> demand demanding to see him it wasn't it was, it was as I put in the in the piece Steve very clear wording speculatively asked whether he would see him didn't expect him to at all um good old-fashioned journalism though well you know a few people have sort of got 
quite sort of angry about this. How dare I ask to speak to somebody who runs Liverpool Football Club when he, you know, he's accountable, isn't he? You know, I was I was just trying to reflect the idea that you know he very rarely speaks to anyone. Um and he's not necessarily an easy man to communicate with. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, the, the, the premise of the, the article is it's quite a different... I think Liverpool at the moment, you know, there's, there's, there's almost, a, I don't want to say an identity crisis because crisis is too hard to wear, but there's a question around identity, I think, because a lot of fans continuously question whether Liverpool can become the club that it used to be, really, you know, winning winning lots of trophies, dominating English football, being successful in Europe at the same time. I think there's a lot of things that have changed in the environment around football since that period. You know, it's not just just about Liverpool, is it? There's, the world has changed, European football has changed. It's a lot harder for, for any club to, to go and dominate, I think, than it was 20, 30 years ago to some extent. You know, and not only that, I just, I just feel that, at the moment, you know, some fans are very critical of FSG. I think no matter what they do, that they will they will be criticised. Sometimes, quite rightly, I think I think the owners of football clubs have seldomly ever been sort of credited with with being the driving force behind any team's success. Unless, I suppose, Jack Walker must maybe be the only one who I think only owner in the history of football where fans have sung his name. You know, they've always been sort of looked upon quite dubiously by any set of supporters, really. Um, but I, I think that, you know, fans, perhaps, they need to question, you know, I think the alternative really is to become a, a different type of ownership group, which is often the sort of type of ownership group which fans claim to despise as well, whether it's Manchester City or, Manchester, or, or Chelsea. That is the alternative where it creates the platform where there's more of a chance that Liverpool will dominate. I mean, people say that teams haven't, you know, there hasn't been a team that's been able to dominate the Premier League. Manchester City have come up to winning the league five times in the last 10 seasons. That is impressive. You know, they have done it three times in the last four seasons. So that's the way football is heading, you know, really at the, at the moment. It looks like City pretty relentless. So how, how do you combat that? Um, so... You know, fundamentally, the piece is, is looking at both sides of the argument, really. Um, I think that the, the owners have been good owners for Liverpool. I think they've got the club off the pitch on a, on a a in a safe place while developing certain infrastructural things away from the actual football team. But is, is, is it capable of, of, of resisting the challenge, I guess, of, of Manchester City um, or Chelsea, to, to, to some extent? Um I think it's it's a big challenge trying to trying to run a football club, even of Liverpool's history at the moment, because of the resources at, at, at other football clubs. I just feel equally though sometimes FSG, you know, perhaps they could have been a bit more adventurous over the last couple of months with with what they what they were willing to do in the transfer market. I think it the, it might yet still cost them. It might not, but I think that they, they risk too much by not necessarily creating the, the financial world for. For Liverpool to go and do what needed to be done at the start of January rather than panicking, not panicking, but but sort of rushing things through at the end of the month where it had been so damaging for the team. So there's a lot to unpack, I suppose. Um, great piece and uh, well worth people checking it out. Thank you to everyone for listening to the Red Agenda today. We appreciate your support for the pod. Uh, thanks to Kiva, Sai and James. Um, we'll be back in a week. 
The Athletic.